Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. I remember my parents' bedroom door being like open a little bit and uh, they had like a bunch of wooden panels, most of them missing with one kind of still in the door. And I think that told me that somebody had kicked the door down. We made our way down to the hallway and uh, it was very quick. I mean, seconds. My brother looked into the room and devastated isn't even the word. The way he sounded and the screeching in his voice was terrifying. Tuesday, January 23rd, 2007, was a typical school day for 12-year-old Ankur Singh and his 13-year-old brother Pulkit, who was known to his friends as Josh. After class, the boys hop on the bus that takes them home to their parents, Jaspal and Gita. But when they ring the doorbell, their mother, who usually welcomes them with a hug, doesn't answer the door. The brothers grab a spare key from the garage, enter the house, and call out for their parents. But they're greeted only by an ominous silence, and then a shocking scene that will be seared in these young boys' memories forever. I'm your host, Steve French, and this is Unsolved Mysteries, Slayings in Syosset. It was January 23rd, 2007. I was about 12, turning 13 that year. In 2007, Ankur Singh lives with his 13-year-old brother Pulkit and their parents, 46-year-old Jaspal and 38-year-old Gita, in an upper-middle-class New York suburb. The town that we lived in was Syosset, New York. Syosset, you know, is kind of like a very suburban, quiet. Houses are very isolated from one another. My dad had moved us there from Queens. It was a significant change from, I guess, where we had been growing up and kind of living. And my dad did it as an opportunity for us to have, you know, an even better life. January 23rd, it was a winter day, so it was quite cold. And my brother and I ran out to the school bus because the bus had been there for about a minute or so. And, you know, it, it only waited a few minutes. But my mom had yelled for my name and I ran back and grabbed the jacket from her and gave her a hug. And she gave me a kiss and I gave her a kiss back. And then I ran back on the school bus. The day went by as normal, went to my classes, did school as I did every day and got back onto the bus. And, um, you know, we showed up to the front of the house and we knew that it was Tuesday, my dad's day off. So both the cars were in the driveway. The boys approach their front door and ring the bell like they do every day. But today, something's not right. Probably knocked and rang the doorbell for about five to 15 minutes. It's hard to say like how long, but look into the window and knock at the door and nobody responded. Usually my mom would open the door pretty fast. 
at some point we decided to use the spare key that we had kept in the garage that only my brother and I and my parents knew about. I opened the door, kind of pushed the door open and said, Mama and Papa. I didn't get a response. So I said it a few more times and kind of kept saying Papa. And then I decided to give the key back to my brother to put away in the garage. And I went inside the house. I walked in and I looked to the right where the staircase is and kind of scanned my way to the middle of the hallway. Then I looked over to my left into the family room and I can see my dad laying there. And, you know, he looked kind of motionless. His eyes were closed. He was laying on his back, arms to the side of him, legs straight out. I was confused. So I said, Papa, a few times and kind of walked over to him and he wasn't responding. And at some point deep inside, there was like a joking kid voice in my head that said, like, is he dead? And I like kept just talking to him and trying to see if I could get him to speak back to me. And I got no response. Then at some point, I just kind of moved his head a little bit using like one finger. And I could see that there was blood sticking to the carpet in the back of his head. I got scared immediately and I kind of like let go and his head went back into place. And then I ran out and kind of just told my brother that, like, our dad is bleeding. He didn't take me seriously yet. And then at that point, he made his way in and I followed him. And then he went over to my dad and, you know, started trying to get his attention as well. And I think he realized that there was something wrong. And at that point, my brother had gotten really emotional and, like, never really seen him upset like this. Devastated isn't even the word. I I couldn't describe his emotion and his fear and and the way he sounded and the screeching in his voice was terrifying. But he called the police station and uh, the lady that answered said, okay, you know, to stand by and that police and ambulances were going to be on the way. As Poolkit and Ankur rush across the street to the neighbor's house for help, they suddenly realize they don't know what's happened to their mother. We went running back to the house and uh, kind of bolted upstairs and I remember my parents bedroom door being like open a little bit and uh, they had like a bunch of wooden panels I remember seeing most of them missing I think that told me that somebody had kicked the door down or open but we made our way down to the hallway and uh, it was very quick I mean seconds my brother looked into the room and he screamed and cried and screeched even louder and I was really scared to look. I could see my mom in a pool of blood. The room was ransacked. TV was on the floor broken. The bed frame was flipped over. The dresser was ransacked, all taken out, clothes everywhere, belongings everywhere. Everything in the room was broken. And my mom just kind of laying in between everything with blood everywhere. Uh, You could barely even see her body. All of a sudden, ambulances, police cars, helicopters, they all started to show up. Jaspal's younger brother, 36-year-old Joginder, lives nearby and is at work when he receives the tragic news. They didn't tell me on the phone, but when I came over there and I saw this such a horrific scene, because when you see, you know, 
tons of police and tons of cars and uh, so many people and and I just asked him, you know, are they okay? And that's when they revealed me that they're no more. It's terrible, terrible, terrible. Who murdered Jaspal and Gita Singh and why? Was it a random attack or was the couple targeted by their killers? For nearly two decades, family members and friends have wondered how two of the most caring and loving people they've ever known could become the victims of such a horrific attack. My parents were just very good people and uh, I miss them every day. Uh, they worked hard and I felt like they kind of achieved that American dream. Although not a strong student back in India, Jaspal had a real talent when it came to business, a talent he put to use when he migrated to the United States in the late 1980s. My dad basically just came here off an opportunity and he left my mom in India. They had known each other prior. They were arranged marriage and, you know, they had stayed in touch and stuff. And when he came here, he found a job at a uh, foam and futon place in Manhattan. He started off the delivery guy and eventually he worked his way up to partner. Just Paul worked long hours running a company called Economy Foam and Futon on Manhattan's Lower East Side. But he had greater ambitions than just a nine to five job. A smart businessman, Jaspal managed his money wisely and invested in other business ventures, including a gas station and convenience store operation that he eventually handed off to his brother, Joginder Singh, to run. We bought one gas station in uh, Long Island in Brentwood, and he was like a sleeping partner with me. I was running all the physical work at the station, and he was always you know, backing it up, like you know, talking to attorneys and accountants. And uh, my brother was... Uh, mentor to me, was like a father figure to me. I always uh, used to look up to him. Just great human being, always uh, wanted to look out for others, always just wanted to give everybody benefit of the doubt, always wanted to help out. If anybody comes to him for help, you know, he's there. He was, was my teacher, he was, he was everything to me. Despite all the work and business success, their children, Pulkit and Ankur, remained the most important part of Jaspal and Gita's life. They wanted to provide the boys with the education and opportunities that they didn't have growing up in India. My dad would work really hard. He would make sure my brother and I did well in school and he'd give us you know, all the resources we needed and make sure we were having fun and kind of bought us the latest games and everything that I'd say a really good parent would do. While Jaspal spends most of his time working to provide for the family, Gita stays home with the boys. My mom was, uh, she was a very interesting person. Uh, she was really smart. She always cared about people. She always wanted to kind of help and, and go that extra mile. And whether it was family, friends, neighbors, or you know anyone that really showed my mom love or, or friendship, my mom would you know do more and, and above and beyond and kind of just like befriend them and you know talk to them and like try to learn from them. She was a very loving and good person. Both of them, they just lived their life for the kids. They just wanted to be great parents. Just for the reason that they can give better education to their kids, they moved to Syaset. It's like a posh neighborhood. Syaset is a great school district. It's probably one of the uh, safest neighborhoods around. Which is why when the Nassau County Police arrive at the Singh House that Tuesday afternoon, a violent murder scene is the last thing they expect to find. My name is Bill Brosnan. I was a detective with the Nassau County Police Department. 
I was on the job for 42 years. Although typically Nassau County does not have a tremendous amount of homicides every year, I personally can't think of another one in that particular area at that time at all. It's a good neighborhood. Typically, I'm assuming they would have your regular things, criminal mischief, a couple of burglaries now and then. But overall, anyone could walk around at night over there and feel very safe. When Poolkit and Encore call 911 that fateful afternoon, Detective Bill Brosnan's team is assigned the case. His partner, Detective Jimmy McGinn, who passed away in 2009, is lead. We both responded, along with uh, several other detectives from the Homicide Squad, when we first went into the home, Mr. Singh was lying on the floor in the living room. Mrs. Singh was found in the master bedroom. Both shot. He was shot twice, once in the chest and once in the back of the head, and she was shot in the face and the cheek. I don't think there was a struggle. No weapon is found next to either body, so investigators quickly rule out a murder-suicide. Brosnan and McGinn head outside to talk to the boys, but first they call Jaspal's younger brother, Joginder, who lives in the nearby town of Bethpage. Normally on Tuesdays, he used to come to my house because that was his day off. And uh, we used to, you know, just sit together or have breakfast together. And that day, he, he didn't show up. And uh, I called a couple times. And then I thought, you know, maybe I should probably go to his house. Then I said, no, not just to bother them. You know, they're probably busy together, him and his wife. And I just went to my work. And I think it was uh, around like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I get this phone call from this cop. And uh, he told me that somebody has to come down to take care of the kids. It came to a point in time where someone had to actually tell the two boys that their parents were, were dead. Their uncle was there, but he approached me and said that he just couldn't do it. He said he couldn't get the words out of his mouth. When I approached the kids, it was, I'm going to say, one of the hardest notifications I've ever made in 32 years as a detective. And no doubt in my mind that it was, for lack of a better term, heart-wrenching. Both boys looked at me in disbelief. All of a sudden, we both kind of deep inside realized that my parents had passed and we just kind of like were crying and angry. And I remember like banging on my parents' cars and you know, getting on our knees on the lawn and pulling the grass out of the lawn and just being so upset and uh, kind of just crying and what felt like a really long time. I guess it's reality when someone tells you that mom and dad are both dead. That was a very, very difficult situation. I'm glad I never have to do that again. I think the detectives were kind of just trying to do their best as humans to like support us in that moment, but I don't think anyone is really prepared for those feelings or those moments. I didn't really want to speak to anyone because like there was nothing that anybody could do to make me feel better. When you get brought into this world, you kind of have this sense of attachment to the people that brought you in. And so like there's the sense of dependency that 
it's in your nature. It's in who you are. It's in how you think. It's in how you breathe. And so I think when that gets taken away from you in that way, your body goes into like overdrive in your mind and the way you feel and nothing can make you feel better because nothing is going to bring your parents back. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores, including headliners Adidas, Expedia, and Ray-Ban. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals. During Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th, the cash back rates are even bigger. I'll be shopping for travel deals and home electronics. You can save on everything you need for summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of Big Give Week's 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey, Unsolved Mysteries listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone in any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com, then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. There's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for family members, and sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with Gift Mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for my fitness fanatic sister. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. The police go to work investigating the scene. They search the house and discover that the upstairs rooms have been tossed. The whole house itself was not ransacked. It was only the bedrooms that were. They went through the bedrooms, obviously looking for something. I'm assuming it's money, but I don't know that. It could have been papers. It could have been information. Both of the people that live in the house were dead. You can't ask them what's missing. TVs and stereos have not been touched, and Gita's jewelry is also still in the house. Strangely, the only thing the police are sure is missing is money from Poolkit's birthday cards that were tucked away in his closet. It was common knowledge in the Singh circle of friends that Jaspal sometimes kept large amounts of money at their home. Although no one described them as flashy, the couple seemed to enjoy their good fortune. My sister-in-law, she used to, you know, wear good jewelries all the time and she used to have a good amount of cash in her pocketbooks also. He used to have cash too, that's for sure. After questioning Joginder, investigators learned that Jaspal had taken home a briefcase filled with cash from the gas station the day before the murders. There was some money that he had from the business that they were keeping until they could get to a bank. I don't recall exactly where it was found at this point, but I think it was under something hidden. Why wasn't the briefcase taken? How can you miss a briefcase that you might not even know what's in there, that you don't break open to see what's in there, but then you steal an envelope of money that was in my brother's 
closet that he had behind some clothes. How does that happen? It, it doesn't make sense. It leads it so much more of a mystery that you don't know if it was an accident or if it was intentional that they knew that my brother's money was there and they came to kill my parents, but then make it look like that it was a robbery. That is the whole you know issue here. The jewelry is not taken, the cash is not taken, and uh, that's the whole uh, mystery behind it. I don't know how much time you believe that you have if you shoot and kill two people to stay in that house. You don't know if someone heard those gunshots. You don't know if someone saw you come in. I think they ransacked that house or ransacked the bedrooms as quickly as they possibly could and then got out. Police searched the area surrounding the house, interviewing neighbors and checking security cameras, but come up empty. We don't have any information about someone leaving the scene. We have no information about anyone seeing people over there. There was nothing. This occurred in daylight hours, all between 7.30 and 3 o'clock in the afternoon. We did an extensive canvas. No one in the neighborhood had any video from their homes that was useful. At the house, there are no signs of forced entry, but the back door is unlocked. Investigators question the boys and discover that this is unusual. I'm assuming they let them into the house because just in speaking to the boys, their sons, they said it was always locked. When they came home from school, they had to ring the bell so their mother would let them in. My dad would never really leave any doors open in the house. I mean, maybe he'd leave the back door open very temporarily so he can like throw trash out or, or do something of that nature, but the door was closed most of the time. Is the killer someone the Sings knew? even someone from their own community. Gita and Jaspal were a well-liked and well-respected couple. They spent much of their free time at their church, where the pair were active in the congregation's volunteer and social outreach programs. It's only when police question members of the congregation that they discover a possible motive for the murders. In the course of the investigation, a constant came up, a constant being money. Mr. Singh would lend money to people of his community the Indian community, and charge 3 or 4% weekly or bi-weekly for that money. Like it wasn't a tremendous amount of money. When I say tremendous, he would be lending people thirty dollars or $40,000. And that alone would be a reason that if he has this much cash around or accessible to that cash, that would make him a target from someone that knew him. It would also make him a target if someone owed him money and was unable to pay. Brosnan and McGinn are hoping that members of the church will point them towards someone who fits this profile. Detective McGinn addressed the congregation looking for assistance, looking for help. We got some information, but nothing directly saying that, you know, this guy was involved, that guy was involved. It was mostly all the basic same information about him being a person that would lend other people money. And no one talked bad about that. They all talked that it was a good thing, that he was, you know, he was helping his own people, his own community. Detective Brosnan and his partner exhaustively question everyone the Sings knew, hoping to discover a clue that will point to the killer or killers. But all leads seem to evaporate under close scrutiny. Unfortunately, the people that we were dealing with in this case are all 
I'm going to say good people. They're all hardworking people. They're all family people. You know, sometimes you get a homicide where, you know, somebody gets killed in the street. Six months later, some guy gets locked up and says, hey, I know who did that, you know, but you got to help me with my case. I don't think we're ever going to get that in this case because that's not the type of people we were dealing with. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. After the murders, with their family life torn apart, Poolkit and Ankur go to live with their uncle, Joginder. I had one daughter at that time. I think she was uh, three or four years old. And my wife was pregnant. And a day before this happened, we found out that uh, my wife was pregnant with the twins. So after this incident, me and my wife, we became parents. So from one kid, right after a few months, we were parents of like five kids. Things had to change really fast. I mean, my brother and I kind of stayed in one of their rooms in their house and then moved on to the next room and until we kind of figured out that, you know, my uncle decided me and my brother would share a room and obviously that affected them as well and their living and how they would kind of go about their day to day. And I wouldn't say it was the best experience, but it was the best that I think could have happened under the circumstances of what happened to my parents. Sadly, a few years after the murders, tragedy strikes the Singh family again. In 2014, while in college, Poolkit passes away from an accidental drug overdose, leaving his younger brother Ankur to continue the search for their parents' killer. While I've overcome a lot and become really strong and have built somewhat of a life for myself after going through that, I'm definitely proud of that, as my parents would be. But the pain is there and it's happened and that's never going to change. It's unbearable. It's been more than 14 years since Jaspal and Gita were murdered. And this case is no closer to being solved than it was the day Ankur and Pulkit found their parents slain in their home. Investigators don't believe their deaths were a random act of violence. My best guess is that whoever went to that house, they were let into the house and whatever prompted the shooting to happen, there was an argument, he was shot. Mrs. Singh went up to the bedroom, locked the door because that was damaged. They kicked that door in to get to her. And the bedrooms were ransacked. To me, that indicates they're looking for whatever money was in the house. It's just a very difficult situation when you have nothing. We just never, ever got a break on this case. I was still in homicide for 
a good amount of years after this case happened, and we never got anything. No one came with new information. There was no other new people to interview. Nobody suggested anything to us. No new leads came in. The status of this case right now is that it's a cold case. Maybe somebody should go back to all those people. Maybe somebody will change their mind. That does happen. We're still hoping until today that maybe somebody knows something and maybe somebody can come forward and uh, give some lead to this. At least we can have some answers, you know, because it's it's not easy to go through years and years without knowing the answers of such a brutal thing that happens. And uh, it's very stressful, very painful to go through unsolved and unanswered questions. I can say wholeheartedly, without a doubt, that my parents were very good, hardworking people that were a part of a community and they believed in, in being happy and doing the right thing and uh, making my brother and I happy. I think those are the memories that resonate with me the most is they did what parents would do. They went above and beyond and they did not deserve to die like this. This is one of the cases that you have that you say to yourself, this is one I want to solve. This is one I have to solve. Not all homicide cases are solved. I would say, based on my knowledge, Nassau County has a high percentage of solving a case, but this one is just one that got away from us. But I always believe that no one can keep a secret. Somewhere, somehow, you know, somebody's going to spit it out. I don't know if something is going to pop on this case. I hope it is. I know that their son still lives with this every day, that he wants closure in his life. If this podcast can reach the people who had killed my parents, please come forward and kind of absolve yourself of this crime and this kind of suffering that you have perpetuated through your actions. And I think through that, while it won't bring my parents back, it will bring some peace to their story, you know, as to why it happened. And I think for their own peace, it could help them as well. I can't imagine being in their shoes and kind of living my life from a day to day. Life is short. Each day I'm alive, I'm grateful. And who knows when my last day is. And I think it would be some silver lining to my parents' case being solved before my time to go is. And with that being said, I, I think that this story getting out there can truly help make that happen. Jaspal and Gita Singh were murdered on January 23, 2007 in Syosset, New York. If you have any information about this case, please contact the Nassau County Police Department at 516-573-6252 or submit a tip at unsolved.com. Next on Unsolved Mysteries. The last time I recall seeing her, I had went and visited her. I was a busy little teenager, so of course I had a million things to do and people to see. And so I said, okay, mom, see you later. And she looked at me and she goes, five more minutes, Carly, stay five more minutes. And I said, I'll stay five extra minutes next time. And there was no next time. 
Unsolved Mysteries is a production of Cosgrove Muir Productions and Cadence 13, an Odyssey company. It is executive produced by Terry Dunn Muir and Chris Corcoran. Produced by Christine Lennig, Courtney Ennis, Bill Schultz, and Paul Yates. The story producer for this episode was Ann Toller, and it was edited by Jillian Cohen. From Cadence 13, editing, mixing, and mastering by Chris Basil and Andy Jaskowitz. Production support by Sean Cherry, Ian Mont, and Ava Fenneberger. Artwork and design is by Kirk Courtney. Publicity by Maura Curran, Josephina Francis, and Hilary Schuff. The original theme music was composed by Gary Malkin and Michael Boyd. Thanks for listening to episode 49 of Unsolved Mysteries.